0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Midtown Midweek where we take the sermon on Sunday and we talk about it more. It's normally three best friends sitting on a couch talking about the sermon, but unfortunately it is only two best friends this week because Melly cannot be with us. Uh, I'll just go ahead and say this podcast will be less good without her. Assuredly. But we will try our best. Uh, I am here with my best friend sitting next to me, uh, Pastor Brandon Clements. How are we doing? I'm um, great, man. Missing Nellie,
1: <laughs> but glad to be here. Yeah. How
0: did the sermon go on Sunday?
1: I thought it went really well. Yeah. People seemed really receptive to it. You know, both both football teams won on Saturday and everybody got an extra hour of sleep before Sunday. So, felt like the room was pretty chipper and ready to, ready to go. So
0: did what, what was attendance like? Because I know at downtown we had... Probably the most people we've ever seen since opening back up, and we were trying to figure out: is it daylight savings? Is it because the Gamecocks that's, won?
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I, I would have thought it might have been taking a dip because of people at the late Carolina game, but yeah, which was a blowout. So
0: yeah, go Cox.
1: But yeah, it was good. Latentus was good at Lexington. Yeah,
0: that's great. I want to go ahead and read something someone submitted on the midweek survey. This is Jonathan. Jonathan says this, In my quiet time this morning, I was reading Psalm 87, verse 3. Glorious thing of you are spoken, O city of God. And he asks, Is it safe to assume that the city of God of which this verse speaks is Columbia, South Carolina? <laughs> now, what are your thoughts on that? Probably
1: not safe to assume hmm. that. Interesting. You know, I think the, the Spirit might speak in an unusual ways to us through Scripture, but I don't think that would be a fateful... Uh, interpretation of that verse. Mm,
0: That's interesting. Yeah. Because I would argue, Columbia, you'd rather be here. You'd rather be here. Do you have
1: a local spotlight you want to highlight? Well, okay. I want to preface this by saying this is not a local spotlight from me. I do not co-sign this. Hmm. But sometimes I think in the spirit of you'd rather be here, I think sometimes you can not realize what you have maybe in some ways and need to you know rediscover wonderful things about your city your area and so recently i've heard a couple of people bring up rushes the fast food oh, place okay and i again do not co-sign this but i've heard a few people bring it up in the, in the sense of like one person was talking about stopping you know when they're traveling through the area or whatever and it kind of confused me and then uh, taylor our our new student um director at lexington you know just moved here from raleigh and you know from atlanta went to school in chicago and this morning he was like dude i just went to rushes you know two weeks ago and i've been there like four times since wow and i was like why <laughs> why? Why did you go back four times? Mm. And we had a discussion in our Lexington meeting about Russia's and uh, what we should think of it. Okay. And I said if their meat quality was like 20% higher I would be a bigger fan of it. Now
0: I'm coming at it a bit ignorant. Are they Columbia based? I
1: believe so. I think it is a chain that originated in Columbia. Okay. I don't know that for a fact but I do know people associate it with Columbia. Interesting. And I have somewhat enjoyed it in the past, even though I would never choose to go there. Yeah. So I just wanted to throw it out there as maybe, maybe this is a better thing than we realize. Maybe it's a better thing than I realize. I'm looking at it right now.
0: There are nine Rush's restaurants in the South Carolina, greater South Carolina area. We got Lexington, West Columbia, Columbia and Lex, yeah. We got one in Camden. That's as far out as we go. Gotcha. Huh. I never associated rushes with being local. Yeah. There was something on Cola Today on their Instagram. It said, what's one thing that you as a local know about our city that most people don't? And one person commented, rushes. And that's all it said. And I was very confused by that. But now this makes sense. Now you know all right not so
1: gonna. you are not recommending rushes but you are saying you know it's just one of those things i would not want to put my name on but if people enjoy it then that is wonderful <laughs> well
0: there you go rushes info in the show have notes. you ever Check. had it uh i'm not like a fast food burger guy if i'm going out for a quick bite it's get a not gonna burger. be burgers Got it. Or it'll be five guys or something. But hey, support the local. That's right. Check out rushes. That's right. (laughs) There you go. So Brandon, we are on commandment nine this week. You shall not bear false witness. What were some things that didn't make the final cut? We also know that you wrote my favorite book on the 10 commandments. So what were some things perhaps in the book that didn't make it into the sermon?
1: Yeah, I think there was a little bit of overlap between the the chapter and the book this week and the sermon. Well, I think you know, hopefully appropriately. So, I, um, we've certainly just seen this be a a big deal for our churches over the years, and seen a lot of chaos and pain and relational breakdown as a result of you know n- intentional or unintentional false witness. And you know, I think one of the one of the examples that we cut from the sermon was a, a moment from from the show Ted Lasso. Which I think a lot of our people probably watch, and you know, one of the characters is pretty rough around the edges that I got compared to. Evidently, some would recently.
0: Argue you are the Roy Kent of
1: our pastoral some, staff. Some would argue that, although I do not have as foul of a mouth as he has, but um, you know, the the moment in the show, without spoiling anything, where toward the end of this current season, um, a particular coach that Ted Lasso had kind of taken under his wing. Who is great. Yeah, he's great. He's, you know, fantastic. And that uh, this coach basically, you know, started to believe some some things about Ted Lasso that mm-hmm. don't seem to line up with reality. And they they seem like, okay, this is the absolute worst motive you could assign to everything in this story. But somehow you decided to assign the worst motive possible to the actions of this man, who most people love, mm-hmm. and it's a pretty jarring moment in the show where you're just like, "What is happening? And how could he possibly do this to my boy Ted? And <laughs> what in the world is going on?" And yeah. I, I think we we've, we've been talking about that just as a, as an analogy of th- that it, this actually happens. Yeah. Like we we have seen this. Like this is this has happened so many times and it's heartbreaking where someone will will take the data points that they have and they will, you know, out of the range of possible interpretations, they will assign the worst possible motives about someone or something and tell the story that's that's just very damning mm-hmm. and super uncharitable. And And that's why we in the sermon we tried to say you know there there might be some elements of truth to to what they're saying, but what they're saying is not the truth yeah, it is so far from the truth. It's egregiously uncharitable and false and and damaging and it, we just thought it was a really good you know picture where you know ordinary everyday people can look and be like, "Oh my goodness, this actually happens." yeah. Yeah, and it happens to people who don't deserve it. Yeah, I also really
0: wanted to use that analogy, but the sermon was already really long as it was. When I saw that scene go down at the very end, I thought, "Oh my gosh, did whoever write this are they in ministry? Because this feels like something we deal with a lot." And I think what's what was even wild, and I made this comment in the sermon. You know, you notice Ted Lasso, and he's trying to talk to the guy. But his mind is already completely made up. He has this narrative so locked into his mind and it's really heartbreaking. I remember Lizzie Keegan, who is on our teaching team, said that now that you know what happens, if you go back and watch season two, you can sort of see his de-evolution as a character Mm -hmm. of anytime something is nice is said about him. He is not in the room, mm. or you will see him say something cutting to someone. Mm-hmm. And rather than someone intervening, they just kind of like look at a distance and sort of raise their eyebrows. Right. Mm-hmm. But it just makes you think, man, if I know it's for good TV, but had a certain character just intervened and said, hey, why'd you talk to that person like that? Right. That wasn't cool. Right. What's going on?
1: how it all could have been disarmed so quickly. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of Lizzie, I think in our next season of this podcast, I think we should have her on here as well. Oh, completely agree. Make that happen, Jake.
0: Okay, I'll see what I can do. I'll have my people talk to her people. Good.
1: but I heard yeah. she's giving the invocation at the Carolina-Clemson game. That is so, true. She the- may be too famous for us at this point, but <laughs> let's do what we can.
0: Yeah, for those who don't know, Lizzie Keegan, she's on our teaching team she gives such valuable input to our sermons and makes them better. Yes, She is the director of InterVarsity at USC and she is asked to do the opening prayer at this year's Clemson Carolina game here at USC. And she's basically said like, I've I've peaked, I've peaked in ministry. This is as high as I can get. I
1: mean, it's pretty high. Yeah. Pretty high. You know, I've lived in Columbia for like 15, I mean, around 15 years now and i've never been to a usc game would you though yeah yes i i do want to go and i was like maybe i should try to go to that game because i'd get to see clemson carolina my first game at at usc and i get to hear lizzie do the invocation. that would be very cool i don't know if it's going to work out but it would be awesome well One of these years,
0: I know Lucy's very much, she's waiting for the day when all our kids are old enough and we can get season tickets and just make that a normal thing. So you can tag along, that'd be great. That's right. One thing in regards to this sermon. So I had one person walk up to me after the sermon and in regards to this sort of topic of bearing false witness and telling lies, asked the question. I thought this was really helpful and interesting as far as What are we to make of an event like January 6th with the Capitol riot, where it was very obviously misinformation being spread, really sort of a watershed event in terms of where we are as a country. I will say one reason why we didn't talk about that, even though that is a very big thing, is part of our decision and teaching team is sort of to wrestle with each and every week What should we talk about and what should we not talk about? And the things that we do talk about, is it going to like adequately address people's concerns and the folks that we are pastoring? And so in applying this commandment, there are hundreds of different avenues we could have taken, and certainly January 6th was one of those things we could have talked about. And just for the sake of where our people are right now, we decided to forego that to talk more about interpersonal relationships, but yeah. well, that certainly is a topic. And yeah, what do we, yeah, what do we I mean, make th- of that? I
1: think if the question is why why did we not do one particular cultural example of, you know, collective false witness, the answer would be because there are too many of them. Yeah, There's simply too many of them in our culture to even start to grab. We could do a whole series on that, on yeah. those, you know, like, um, you know, January the 6th, you know, to, transgender ideology on on the left and just the topic of i use i use the phrase recently i don't know if someone else has said this before but um the phrase corporate mental illness Mm. or collective mental illness of you know a group of people deciding that if we say something confidently enough and loudly enough and persistently enough then we will we will make that true Mm. and it's everywhere yeah it's all over the place all over our culture and it is devastating and yeah we could certainly talk about a lot of those things and how people you know I think conspiracy theories are are, is a good umbrella term for those things you know the, the people that get hyped up into a frenzy and only read what they want to hear and uh you know all the way to QAnon conspiracy stuff and and I've certainly had people in my life that where I was very surprised at I I did not think you you would be swept up into something like this on on all sides of the of the political spectrum Mm -hmm. I, I didn't think you would be uh colonized by this idea and it still had an effect on you and yeah
0: it's No, it's a huge problem. Yeah. Especially when you think about, like, as we said in the sermon, Genesis 3, Satan has built an empire on lies. Yeah. So, uh, again, just a, a myriad of different ways you could have talked about all the ways lies infiltrate and infect nearly everything. Yes. For sure. Any thoughts or words on, yeah, how do we perhaps... We aren't holding to that, but let's say we have loved ones or friends that do hold to being so convinced of misinformation. Like, how do we navigate those conversations? How do we extend charity in those situations? Any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that it helps to to realize our susceptibility to those things as well, that we, we all have been swept up in lies mm-hmm. and based our lives off of things that aren't true and you know, so we are not we're not coming off of some mountain, you know, uh, that we are greatly affected by by this, and have that humility as a posture to to know that this is my problem first and foremost. Mm. And you know, God by His grace has has saved me and brought me into His family and helped me see the light and see truth and reality for what it really is. And so I shouldn't be surprised when other people are. Greatly affected by things that seem obvious to me, that you know, that I should have a posture of understanding and humility, and I think just an unwavering steadiness that uh, isn't bowing down to whatever uh, pressure is happening at the t- at the time, and and is just capable of being the odd man out and being looked at as weird, and just like. That's fine if if someone thinks i'm a i'm a lunatic then that, uh, i'm perfectly okay with that yeah and um and just be steady and and find a sense of stability and obviously in god and god's word and also in our community of god has rescued a group of um truth lovers and truth tellers yeah and we're gonna we're gonna keep bearing witness to the truth whether it's culturally popular or unpopular mm-hmm. and i think there's a I heard a podcast recently where some pastors were talking about the idea of contested space and that, you know, Jesus' followers throughout time have have always had different areas of the faith where some of the tenets are celebrated and other tenets of the faith at that particular time and place were contested. They were Mm. not liked at all. Mm. And uh, I think, you know, it's interesting to, to trace out how. Those things were different for Christians at different points in time. Right now, I think there are some elements of our faiths that that line up pretty well with culture, you know, with some of the social justice and, right. um, you know, let's care about the poor and um, some things that don't receive pushback. And then there are other elements that are not super popular culturally right now. They're a contested space. Mm-hmm. And I think we just have to have the, the courage and and pray for the, the strength to be able to withstand, uh, and those can come from you know depending on your context from the left or the right, yeah. And just the, having the courage to to be like I'm I'm going to build my life off of off of truth and um, and love the truth and, and bear witness to the truth. Yeah, that is
0: helpful. I, I love what you said about being humble, having the posture of humility when you talk to, to people uh having a confidence at the same time that here's the truth that we hold on to and trusting in the Holy Spirit, believing in the sovereignty of God, I think at times with a with a topic such as that, it can feel like, you know, we're wanting some sort of like magic bullet or magic resource to be able to help people see the lies that they are believing or the misinformation that they're believing and there's a part of it too where our call is to be faithful and trust God ultimately with he is going to open their eyes if he so chooses you know for sure yeah
1: i think there's a there's a temptation to to be angry at people who we we rightly see are believing wrong headed or devastating things or harmful things and you know i think it is far more helpful to to have a posture of like they they are deceived just like i was deceived yeah and that, that's how i'm going to operate and and posture myself toward them yeah as if they are they are deceived by something that also got me mm. yeah that's very helpful
0: anything else that didn't make the final cut brandon
1: yeah so i was thinking about the the opposite of bearing false witness and what does it mean to be truth tellers and know one of the things we talked about in teaching team that we didn't really have time to focus on a lot in the sermon was like the idea of being precise in your speech and you know being charitable in the way that you describe people and things but also being precise and not exaggerating things or not um using you know extreme language to try to get your point across and Mm um i think that's a huge problem and temptation in our culture right now where we just, you know, tend to use really strong words and really uh, extreme terms to, you know, try to get our point across. And um, I told a story yesterday about one of my one of my kids, you know, saying something, you know, "You always do this to me," mm-hmm. in, in a way that's just absurd. It's like, no, no, that I do not. <laughs> Sometimes I have said in those moments, I say something like.
0: I am your best friend. That's right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yes. And uh, we had I had a family um, come up after, and you know, said you know we have a rule in our house that is we we don't use the words never and always unless we're talking about God. Hmm. I thought that was really helpful. Hmm. Like you know, that is something that we only ascribe to God as in God always loves us, you know, God never forsakes us. Those are absolutes that we can actually attribute to God. And they're typically not fair or charitable when we attribute them to people. So if I'm in an argument and I say, you always do this, or you never do this, it's like, you know, it it doesn't sound as good to say, you sometimes do this, and it upsets me. (laughs) It doesn't have quite the same effect, but it's far more precise and far more charitable and you know just not trying to use language in a way that you know get makes what I want to happen happen. Mm -hmm. That even got me thinking just in the
0: academic setting like if you want to write at an academic level a big part of it is you're trying to steer the conversation like take what's already existing out there and then try to push it slightly in a new direction but part of it requires that you have to disagree with some of it, but you have to articulate it in such a way that accurately reflects the conversation at large that you're trying to disagree with. And if you cannot accurately summarize the conversation that you're trying to disagree with, it's like, well, then this is irrelevant. We can't make progress in an academic environment if you cannot charitably talk about whoever you're disagreeing with yes and I thought that was so helpful and fascinating and man how much more yeah in our relationships yeah
1: for sure not I think I briefly tried to hit that yesterday in the sermon of like if you're if you're even if you're processing in you know, a relational conflict that you're having with someone else that's not involved, you should do your best to represent their case uh, in a way that if they were there they would say, yes thank you you Mm -hmm. articulated why i'm upset and my position very well yeah and i think if we can really try to do that then that's gonna it's just gonna erase so much potential for conflict
0: my hope and prayer is life group this week we can apply this have some reconciling conversations this week really praying that yeah jesus used this sermon to make us more like him yeah for sure thank you Brandon so much for lead writing this and writing this whole series and the book We're very thankful for that and we'll direct you all to links in the show notes holler at us if you have any questions about the series next week we're going to be taking a lot of the extra questions y'all have asked and really tackle that so stay tuned for that that'll actually be our last episode of the year we're going to take a break during Advent in the meantime we'll see you Until next week. And we'll be back in
1: the spring with Lizzie.
0: See you later. Bye.